Welcome to The Saint Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring hope to the people of East London, and I'm praying that you would feel so encouraged by this week's talk. I'm going to read for us from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 11 to 14. So if you have a Bible or an iPad or an iPhone or some other device, uh, why don't you get that out and turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Verses 11 to 14, and I'm reading in the NIV translation. It says this. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, Then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. Amen. Amen. Let's welcome Al as he comes up to share with us. Thanks, Temi. Temi's just been on holiday to Greece, uh, and you can tell, right? You're looking good, Temi. But um, also, Greece is like less hot than London right now, so... I don't know how you feel about that. You could have stayed here, saved the cash. Um, It's so good to have you here. If you're here for the first time, massive welcome. Um, It's great. If you are... um if you are visiting with us tonight or you're kind of in town the first time, we'd love you not to leave a stranger and so excited by what God's doing in this community. I want to speak to you tonight on the subject of moving from survival to revival. From survival to revival. Did someone just give me an amen for that? Did, that was that early. Uh, you went early. That was great. That's exciting. That's good. Um, I want to take you back to 1949. In Scotland. Do we have any Scots people here? Come on, brother. There was like a limp Scot at the back. Is that like a half Scot? No, you're not Scottish? He's Scottish. But you put up your hand. That's empathy for you right there. That's amazing. So I'm half Scottish, full disclosure. And um, I love Scotland. I love like traveling through Scotland. If you go to the the, the Western Isles, beautiful um, part of Scotland, very remote. There's an island called Lewis. And in uh, Lewis is a village called Barvas. I've been to Barvas. It's a really tiny little hamlet on the Isle of Lewis. And if you drove through Barvas on the way somewhere, well, I don't know where you'd be going because it's kind of at the end of the Isle of Lewis, but you might notice one thing. There's not a lot that happens in Barvas. It's pretty quiet. And in 1949, two old ladies, one aged 82, bent double with arthritis, was with her older sister, who was aged 84, who was completely blind. And they were believers. And late one night, they were sitting by a fire in their house and calling out to God because nobody came to church in Barbas. No young people attended church. There was not a a sense of God moving or God doing amazing things or God being real in Barbas in those days. And they were crying out to God and God gave one of them a very simple vision a prophetic vision of their local parish church building full of young people. And it was a remarkable vision because at the time there was nobody in that community who was under the age of 20 who went to church. And they took this vision to be a promise from God that revival was coming, that God was going to do something extraordinary in that place. They sent for the minister who came the next morning and they said to him, revival is coming. God has spoken to us. And he said to them, 
well, what am I meant to do about it? <laughs> and they said to him, you had better start praying. So he went and he started praying. Each evening, he'd open up his home and he'd gather people from the community, a handful of people, like a connect group. And they started to pray, Lord, send revival. Send your Holy Spirit to Barvis. Send your power do it again in our time, in our day. Do the stuff we read about in the New Testament. They cried out to God night after night, one month, two months, for three months, nothing happened. And then one night, a young man stood up in that prayer meeting and he got his Bible out and he read from Psalm 24 these words. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? It will come up on the screen. He who has a clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, his Savior. Addressing those present, the young man turned and he said this, brethren, it seems to me to be just so much humbug to be waiting thus night after night, month after month, if we ask ourselves, are we not right with God? He said, I must ask myself, is my heart pure? Are my hands clean? And then turning his eyes to heaven, he cried out to God and then he crumpled to the floor under the power of the Holy Spirit. In that moment, the presence of God exploded in that room, swept through that place. The atmosphere was charged with wonder. God had begun to fill that place with his presence. Duncan Campbell, who was the leader of the ensuing awakening, a preacher, later identified that young man's prayer. And he said this, as the catalyst that let loose a power that shook the Hebrides. In the days that followed, many hundreds of people became overwhelmed by a sense of the power of God. And what's fascinating when you read the accounts of the revival in the Hebrides, it wasn't just people like us who come to church. We're like, come Holy Spirit, expectant that God might want to have a relationship with us. It wasn't people like us who, who believe that maybe there is a God and Jesus is alive and the Holy Spirit does stuff. We've maybe read the Bible. What was fascinating is that in the Isle of Lewis, people who had no contact with the church, people who weren't Christians, would be going about their business, walking home from the pub, working in the fields, walking from the croft to the churchyard. And as they were walking simply out in the open air, the power of God would come on them. No one to pray for them. No one preaching to them. No one telling them about Jesus. And so was the power of God in that place that they would be convicted of their sin. And they would turn and come and bring their hearts back to God. In that time, hundreds and hundreds of people became Christians. And most of the people who were converted were converted on their way to the meeting at the church. They didn't even have time to hear somebody tell them about Jesus. Now, I want you to understand something. Hands up if you've ever experienced God speak to you, encourage you, you've ever felt him moving in your life, answer a prayer, you felt a sense of his love filling you. Raise a hand at any point you've ever felt God do something in your life. Maybe that's why you're here tonight. Maybe those online, you'll relate to this. There are moments when we feel God is moving in our lives. We've all experienced that. And if you haven't, you don't need to leave tonight without having an assurance of his love. Now, I want you to understand that is a subjective experience of the power of God. That's you in your own life experiencing his power. 
And we also understand that God is omnipotent, omnipresent, and all-powerful. In other words, the normal rules of engagement do not apply to an omnipotent, omnipresent, all-powerful being. What God does when revival breaks out is take the subjective experience that you and I experience when we feel God's love and the experience of his power and encouragement and move it from the category of personal and subjective into the category of public and objective. It's very easy for God to do that because he's God. It's like he pulls the focus on the camera out. And rather than one person after another experiencing God's love, he simply makes it that the whole community encounter and experience God. Now, I've been a pastor for a while. I have such um, faith and encouragement when I understand that God works in the church. He does amazing things. But my heart is not that we would just see people come and experience God when they come to church on a Sunday. My heart is that every person the 99% of people who don't, know to, don't go to church, don't know Jesus yet in this part of London, would experience his love, acceptance, encouragement, forgiveness, healing, hope, and reconciliation. That's what we're praying for when we ask for revival. And so long in my life, I've been operating, and I confess in the last few years, particularly with the whole pandemic and life and all the, the stuff that we've been through as a community, where it's so easy to get obsessed with this immediacy around us, our paradigm, that we forget that God is the God who is passionate about the people in the streets around us, your flatmates, your colleagues at work, that God is passionate that he would break into their lives. So my challenge for myself is to move from a mindset where I'm conditioning myself just to look at my own stuff, my social media feeds, my inbox, my diary, my bank account, my own journal, my own concerns, the things that occupy me and keep me up at night. This paradigm of surviving and to move to a world where I pray for revival. A paradigm shift from me to we, to you. Come on, God, would you do it in our time? I want to go to this passage in Chronicles because God's been speaking to me through it. And my heart would be this. Whenever I read about God moving from the personal and subjective experience of his love to the objective experience of revival, I'm like, come on, Lord, do it on our time. It would be so much fun. Wouldn't it be so much fun? You know, walking down a narrow way and people just falling to their knees saying, tell me about Jesus. That would be cool. I'd love to see that happen. So I want to unpack tonight a real simple thing. That God speaks into people like you and me's lives with encouragement that it is possible. Look at this passage that Temi read to us. Familiar things, themes. Firstly, we see there is a drought spiritually. Verse 13, when I shut up the heavens so there is no rain. Well, you may have noticed <laughs> when you go outside the door tonight, it's a little bit hotter than usual. We're living in literally a moment when it's spiritually like the weather is physically. The ground is dry. You look around the culture and people don't know that there's the love of God available to them. We're in a spiritual drought. Secondly, in this passage, there is financial hardship. Financial hardship. Verse 13, it will command locusts to devour the land. There's loss of income. Just as today we have a cost of living crisis, fuel crisis, famine, war. We face challenges. And the third thing we notice is there was a plague. There was even a plague once in a hundred years. What are the chances you and I are sitting here and we've had the great pandemic that we're still living through the tail end of? Verse 13, I'll send a plague among my people. 
And it's in this context, it's not dissimilar to our context that God speaks. And he says this, it's time for you and I to move from survival to revival. He says, if my people, then. And I want you to notice that if and then. We're going to come back to it. Charles Finney, the great preacher, defined revival like this. Revival is a renewed conviction of sin and repentance followed by an intense desire to live in obedience to God. It's the giving up of one's will to God in deep humility. Now, to me, that sounds like a prescription for the Christian life. That's what we're all called to. Duncan Campbell, who was one of those who was present at the last great revival in the UK and the Isle of Lewis in 1949 to 1953, he wrote this. And I love this definition of revival defined by his experience on the hills in the Isle of Lewis. He said this, revival is a community saturated with God. The road and the hillside become sacred spots to many when the winds of God blow. Revival is a going of God among his people, an awareness of God laying hold of the community. So how do we move from survival to revival? Well, the first thing is to humble ourselves, to humble ourselves and to pray. I don't know how you are with humility, whether it's a natural thing. I know I'm not very humble by nature. I hate admitting it when I'm wrong. You know, sometimes Liv will say to me, you know, I, I, I'm not sure you, you got that right. Something I've said to her, and I'll be like, what, really? You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure I did. And she'll be kind, she'll be like, no, I wonder if, you know. And then you realize, oh, actually, we don't always get it right. You know, if you're in a relationship, it's a helpful thing because it points out that you're not perfect. And if you think you're perfect, then, well, you, you, let me tell you this, you won't be in a relationship for very long. We need humility. What is humility? It means saying, hey, we get it wrong. And spiritual humility is saying, look, I can't do this on my own. God, I need you. I, I, can't, I can't do this. I, I need to walk in humility. You know, we in the West, we have quite a small view of what God often does. Revival is simply saying to God, God, we can't do this stuff on our own. We need your power to come. And when we start in that position of humility and we begin to pray, nothing is impossible for God. The next thing we read in verse 14, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and what? And pray and seek my face. Verse 14 continues, pray and seek my face. Let's have the next slide up, please. That's it. If we want to move from survival to revival, we need to learn to pray and seek God's face. You know, this is nothing new. If you read the history of the church from the day of Pentecost all the way through the early first centuries of the church, all the way through to Azusa Street at the beginning of the 19th century when the Pentecostal movement was born, all the way through the great awakenings of the 18th century, 19th century, the Wesleys, the Wilberforces, the Whitfields, the stories of those who led millions of people to faith. If you read the stories of what God has been doing across Africa the last 50 years, amazing awakenings and revivals in Nigeria, Ghana, all around Africa, the power of God at work. Hands up if you have African roots 
today. Just raise your hand. You know what I'm talking about because you'll have seen it in your family's story. Whole families becoming Christians, the power of God at work. Or if you look at what's happening across Asia right now, Indonesia, or Latin America, the church is exploding in Latin America. We don't read about it in the press here, but it's growing so fast. They are having to not just build churches, they're just having to fill meet stadiums because they can't meet the need of what God is doing fast enough. And it's not just one type of church, Pentecostal church, it's the Catholic church, it's the Protestant church. God is on the move in the most remarkable ways around the world. Take India, stories of extraordinary miracles happening all across the church in India amidst great persecution. God raising people from the dead, amazing healings, revival breaking out in villages. Or go to China. You know, the fastest growing church in the world right now is the underground church in China that's growing so fast that current predictions are by 2050, that nation will be the largest Christian nation on the face of the earth because God is pouring out his revival in that place. Or Iran. I've met countless believers since I even moved to Hackney who've come to faith on the great revival that's happening underground in revival. We baptize people who've been led to faith in that revival in the UK because somehow God manages to do it here. And you, when I hear these stories, I'm like, come on. Why not us? Why not on our watch? I didn't sign up to sit in neat rows and have lukewarm coffee at the back of a church service. I signed up to see God's power move in Hackney as in heaven. Amen? And my heart and my prayer will be that we catch again this vision to move from survival to revival. So the second thing is to learn to pray. Matthew Henry says this, when God intends great mercy for his people, the first thing he does is set them a prey. I love kingdom come. Hands up, you're a kingdom come last uh, Tuesday evening. So good to gather and pray. You know, we have such big issues to deal with. The environmental crisis, politics, war. What's our response? We've got to learn how to pray. And when we pray, amazing things happen. Now you may say, well, I'm not very good at praying. And my schedule is really busy. I've got a lot on. You know, I've got yoga. I've got a Zoom. I've got a you know, night out with a flat. And there's a lot. There's a, you don't understand my life. I've got a lot on. Someone's just connected with me on Hinge, you know. No, that's not me. I'm married very happily. I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, maybe you're like, there's a lot going on in my life right now. I have not got time for a prayer meeting. Well, please don't come and see me in heaven and tell me, like, why didn't it happen on our time? Why don't you see more fruit in your life? Because the simple equation is this. None of us are too busy to pray. The devil will try and persuade you out of the agency of your own personal prayers. But let me tell you, the most powerful thing you can do is learn how to pray. Susanna Wesley was mother to 19 children. Nine of them died as infants. She was abandoned by her husband. One of her children was crippled. Another couldn't speak. She was trapped in debt. She was desperately sick most of her life. Twice her home was burnt to the ground. Twice she lost everything she owned. Let me tell you this. Don't ever let the devil persuade you that you don't have agency and power. You have unconquerable power at your fingertips. The whole host of heaven is just waiting for you to open your lips and begin to pray. 
If you're facing battles today, if you're facing trials and temptations, learn how to pray. Learn how to pick up the one weapon that nothing can take away from you. The ability for your heart to cry out to your Father in heaven. Because there's nothing more terrifying to the darkness than one simple believer like you and me on our knees crying out to God. Nothing makes hell tremble more than the power of your heart turned to God in prayer. And nothing attracts the favor and blessing of heaven more than when you open your lips and call out to God. So pray, pray without ceasing, pray with expectancy, pray with faith because God will answer your prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. So Susanna Wesley gets this vision that she can do all things through Christ, even though she's got nothing, a single mum, destitute, in debt, with no prospects, abandoned by her family. And she does the one simple thing. She gets a chair, puts it in the corner of her kitchen. She sits down on her chair and she pulls her apron up over her head. And the children are like, what are you doing, mum? And she says this, when I have my apron over my head, I'm in my place of prayer. Leave me alone. And so they learn pretty quickly, like that's the place where you don't disturb Susanna Wesley. She's there with her apron over her head. And she said this, she made this commitment. She said, for two hours every day, I'm gonna pray to God. Now, I imagine as a mum, she didn't get two hours constantly, but she made time all the way through her day with her apron over her head to call out to God, to cry out, to intercede. And for most of her life, she saw no fruit. She still had problems, challenges, debts, hardship. But two of her kids, whose names you might remember, would go on to change the nature of what the British Isles looks like today. One of her kids was called John Wesley, became a preacher. Another one was called Charles Wesley, wrote the songs. And together, they literally led tens of millions of people to Jesus in a 40-year period. Sparked the great awakening that swept the UK and North America. Social scientists reckon that the great awakening that was triggered by John and Charles Wesley's ministry, that, by the way, began in East London, was the one factor that saved the British Isles from the revolution that swept through France, the guillotine and social destruction. And all of that starts when a person with very little agency sits in their room and they put their apron over their head and they call out to God. And you may look at your life and say, well, look, there's the environmental crisis. Nothing's really changing quick enough. There's massive poverty. Half the kids are growing up below the poverty line. There's violence, there's abuse, there's debt, there's addiction. Well, we've got one thing I can tell you that's hugely powerful. If God's people, you and me, who are called by his name, will humble themselves and pray, then nothing is impossible. So I, I guess there's no real like, reason we can't be part of something extraordinary in our, in our lifetimes. Verse 14 gives one more condition. If We turn from our wicked ways. Hands up if you've been wicked this week. 
Joke. Like three people are like, yeah, me. <laughs> yeah, hands up. No, like honestly, like I get things wrong the whole time. You, you know, we all do, right? Hands up if you've made mistakes. Okay, if you haven't put your hand up, you're not listening or you're in like a delusional state right now because we all make mistakes. It's, it's fundamental. We all get things wrong. The important thing is not just to make mistakes. It's to say, well, look, when I make mistakes with God, to turn our hearts back to him. And when you do that, change begins to happen. Let me tell you a story about a prayer meeting that took place in the UK about 10 days ago. It's a prayer meeting that happens every year, a national parliamentary prayer breakfast in Westminster Hall. And what happens to this is the great kind of politicians, the PM, the cabinet all get together and the Archbishop of Canterbury and all these kind of people, they pray and they kind of, they, they do their thing. But this time, a Pentecostal pastor called Les Isaac stood up to preach. And he talked about integrity and leadership and how leadership isn't possible without integrity and how integrity isn't possible without admitting we need God, turning our hearts back to him. That's all integrity means. It's not pretending you're perfect. It's saying, I'm sorry, would you help me, God? And in that prayer meeting, something happened there and then that triggered one of the biggest changes in British political life in living memory. I mean, social scientists and politicians will, will write, politics students will write about this for de- decades to come. I studied politics four years at university. You know, we've never seen anything quite like this in British politics for a long time. One of those watching, Sajid Javid, who was the health minister in the cabinet, said this. He said, listening to Reverend Les Isaac talking about the importance of integrity in public life and focusing on just that, I made up my mind. Something happened in him. He said, I went straight back to my office and drafted a resignation letter. That day, I went to see the prime minister later in the day. So a cabinet minister is sitting listening to a Pentecostal pastor preaching about integrity. And he, something happens in his heart where he says, I, I, I've got to do something. So he goes back to his office, he drafts a resignation letter, that letter goes into the Prime Minister, and it's the first letter. Within 48 hours, 55, 56, sorry, more letters had come in, resigning, people resigning from government on the issue of integrity. Having heard a pastor talk about integrity 48 hours before. Now I'm not making a political point, I'm making a spiritual point is that the word of God is powerful. It has the ability to change your life and remold your heart. And when we turn back to God and we put him first and we choose to do what's right in our lives, it unlocks huge potential in our lives. Now, you have that power right now in the way you respond to the challenges you face or the hurts you carry or the issues that come up in your workplace this week. You have the choice to keep turning back to God. And when you do that, amazing things will happen. And the consequences of revival are really clear. This passage is a promise. It's not just like God's like voice note to us. Hey, here are some thoughts. What's in the Bible is a promise. And 2 Chronicles 7:14 says if then look at it again with me. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then will I hear them from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. 
Let's have that word up. That's it. Look at that. Then I will. In other words, when we do this, God will do that. I want you to understand something really important about God. We are not people who believe in works. In other words, Christianity, following Jesus, is not a conditional exchange of behaviors in order to earn something from God. What it doesn't mean is if we do this, then like a slot machine. What's happening in this is that God says, if you position yourself in such a way, then I'm able to do what I'm longing to do in your life. You see, if we position ourselves, moving from a paradigm of survival to saying, Lord, we want revival for this nation, then God is able to start to do extraordinary things in our midst. So my challenge to us tonight and those of you watching online is will we move from that paradigm of just survival to saying, Lord, would you send revival? And when we do it, amazing things can happen. God is gonna stir up his church. We're gonna learn how to pray. We're going to see, I honestly believe, amazing power in what we do here in East London and beyond. And there's two ways we can go about it. We can try in our own strength and, you know, we'll see limited results. We'll have a good go. But when God does it, nothing is impossible. And I say this because I've seen it with my own eyes many, many times. I had the privilege of traveling all over the world and seeing God at work in places like India and in China. I remember being 20 years ago in a meeting of underground church leaders in China in a tiny room that was packed full of people, young people, younger, I mean, even younger than you guys, and you guys are all like really young. I know it's objective, I'm 45 years old, so everyone's young when you're 45. But we're in this tiny room, and I walked in this room with a couple of leaders and we were trying to teach them about how to run Alpha. And we were going through the Alpha material about, hey, you know, week one, not everyone's going to come and be a Christian. You know, they're going to like want to hang out a bit and then you can like do the talks and the videos. And they were like, whoa, 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 back up. They said this, we don't understand what you're talking about. We read the material about Alpha, how you run Alpha. It doesn't make any sense. And I was like, why? What's the problem with it? And they said, this is the thing we find that everyone is coming to Jesus on the way to Alpha before week one starts. That's revival. I remember being in India with church leaders who were, again, traveling miles and miles and miles out into really remote rural communities. And everywhere they'd go as they walked in to the village hall where they'd gather people to tell them about Jesus, they would say, like, like literally, as they walked in the building, the power of God would come. Sometimes the buildings were shaking with the power of God, like we read about in Acts chapter 2. And they didn't even have to tell people that Jesus was alive. People had already begun to experience it there and then. And I experienced this in my life. I grew up with, as many of you have heard, without a, a faith. And then aged 18, I walked into a church building in South Kensington, HTV, where I was for 20 years. Because a friend had told me that God was on the move there. I'd never been to a church service like this before. I'd read in my Bible, the book of Acts, that the Holy Spirit fills people. And then I walked through the door of a church and I was amazed that there were people who actually believed what they read about in the Bible. That God would heal people and fill them with the Holy Spirit and encourage them and bring life. I mean, I I just never understood that it was for me. And they sang worship songs that weren't just about God, like he was some distant deity, but they were to God. And I was like, wow. And then the end of the service, the, the person leading the service said, would you like to stand? And why don't we invite the Holy Spirit to come? 
And in that moment, the power of God fell in that place in the most remarkable way. People were flat out on the floor. People were shaking. People were overwhelmed by the love of God. They were crying. Others were laughing with the joy of the Lord. And I was like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. But there was no doubt you couldn't make this stuff up. This was God on the move. And in the decades since then, I've seen God do that over and over and over again. On an Alpha day, on a Sunday morning here, time and time again, God hasn't changed. The only bit that changes is our expectation. You know, Jesus, the Bible tells us, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost is here tonight. The question is, will we move from a revival, survival mindset, to a revival mindset? And that, my friends, is up to you. There's no one else can make that decision for you. So let me ask you again. Do you want the God of revival, the God of heaven and earth, the God who raised Jesus from the dead to take your life and use it in such a way that you might bring life and blessing to all those around you? If you want that, the answer is humble yourself. Pray. Turn. Seek his face. Why don't we start tonight? In Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand together? And I know it's like hot. If you're watching online, I hope you've got air conditioning. You'll be doing better than we are. But everyone's doing great here. But I want us to take a moment before we do anything else. And just take a moment to wait on the Holy Spirit. And you know, there's two ways you can wait in life. You can wait with like um, a kind of passive waiting of like, hey, whatever. Impress me, God. Or, or you could say to God, you know, God, I need you. I can't get through the day without you. I need your help in my work. I need your help in my heart. I need you. And that's an active kind of waiting. And that's what I believe God calls us to do, is to wait, saying, Lord, we want everything you have expectantly that God is going to move in your life. It's not going to be hype. We don't hype the Holy Spirit up. He comes down. On the day of Pentecost, he moved in great power. But the ministry of Jesus began with the Holy Spirit just settling on him like a dove, gentle. So why don't we pray? Come, Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to this week's talk. If you'd like to find out more, give or connect with us, visit our website, saint.church. Have a great week and we'll see you soon.